podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, go to patreon.com slash cricket unfiltered or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Menas here. Our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Menas will be doing long-form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want some great extra content, or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Mad Manners because I'm still locked down. I'm joined by Paul, the summer game. Dennett, Paul, how are you? I'm good, Manners. Um, I think it's going to be interesting today. Kyle Chalmers, can he defend his title? Uh, Arnie Titmus has been fantastic, lighting things up. Um, really enjoying the sport at the moment. Well, I promised our <laughs> very special guest that we wouldn't be talking about the Olympics. We have... Coming in from the Cricket Etc. podcast from the, I guess, from what end do you be? The Randwick end where you are, Pete? We've got Pete Lawler from uh, The Australian. Coming in from the Marrickville end, mate, from the People's the, Republic Pavilion end. The coolest end in cricket, they're calling it. Um, Great to be on the show. Thanks for coming on after, um, you know, I know pulling you away from lockdown's tough, um, but thank you. Um I know you've got a busy weekend planned for the Chapel Foundation. Um, you're not going to be sleeping out, but the sports stars will be. What, what's going on there? Which which sports stars are using the opportunity to get out of their house? <laughs> <laughs> well, the sports star sleep out is one of our main charity fundraisers outside the dinner, which both you gentlemen are, are familiar with and have generously contributed to our dinner. Uh, and normally we get uh, the elite uh, usually a Sydney sporting scene, to uh, sleep on the SCG grass overnight and get sponsored by their fans. Obviously, we've been wiped out by COVID, so no one's sleeping at the SCG this weekend. Um, we've decided that they can all do it on their couch or in their backyards or on their balconies if they don't have a backyard. Ed Cowan doesn't have a backyard. He's an urban dweller. Um, and he's one of our participants. <laughs> so, you know, never waste a crisis. It's allowed us to... Uh, to um, cast our net a little bit more widely for participants, so we've got uh, we've got some big names, big names. I've got Mitchell Johnson doing it over in Perth. Uh, I've got Matthew Hayden. You fellas remember him? Uh, he's he's doing it up in Queensland. Uh, Ed Cowan, as I mentioned before, one of the more interesting <laughs> ones is we've got the entire <laughs> Sutherland, the entire Sutherland family are doing it in the Sutherland garage. They're going to sleep on the floor of their own garage. <laughs> so that's Annabelle, Will, and James, who've all played first class cricket. Well, excellent stuff. So I guess if people want to support the cause, they can head to the Chapel Foundation website. 
Yes, they can. Yeah. And if you're in Tasmania, we've got Molly, Elise and Nicola. You'd be all familiar with those ladies from the Tasmanian Tigers. Trevor Chapel, Ian Chapel for oldies like Paul. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, well, good luck with it, Pete. I'm so glad it's going ahead even um, in these trying times. But I guess it's, it's even more important when so many people are under immense pressure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And when I said Ian, I meant Greg. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is, <laughs> mate. We, cause, well, we have a, a lot of clients that we support, and uh, the the feedback we're getting from them is anywhere between forty to a hundred percent increase in demand. Because in lockdown and in these sort of um, difficult financial times for people, uh, dysfunctional families don't get any better, mate. And uh, c- you can imagine what it's like being in a dysfunctional family in a lockdown. So the demands for places for shelter for for young people have gone through the roof so uh it's more important than ever that we raise some money and that's what we're doing and can i just give us a little plug we are one of the best charities on this earth like we just did our um financial report for last year uh, we raised uh, rubbery figures but we raised o- close to a million over nine hundred thousand dollars we passed on 99.6 percent of that money we have Almost no overheads at all. The, the only only things that came out of that were our insurance bill, our web hosting bill, and a few other administrative fees. But every other cent that we raise, we pass on. So um, I know in other charities, sometimes your money doesn't quite get where it should get, or not all of it does. But with us, it does. There you go. Hey, let's talk about cricket. Absolutely. Well, let's get into the cricket headlines. Lots to talk about. But, Pete, will we get an Ashes summer? Michael Vaughan has said that if England don't send all their players, that the series should be delayed until next summer, so the summer after this one. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, yeah, look, look. if there's cricket this summer, it will be against England and it'll be an Ashes. It's, I think it's a bit of a clever move uh, and a sensible move by England to put preemptive pressure on their board, our board and on the Australian government to uh, ensure that that families can that families can accompany the players. Uh, it's too much to ask players to come down here without their families. I mean, God, if that Katie Hopkins can get a bloody visa, mate, uh, I think <laughs> cricketers' families should be allowed to come in. Um, maybe if they'd kept it quiet, it would have been done on the quiet by the government because it doesn't like to to announce that people are coming and going as much as they do, but they do everywhere. Um, but it, it's way too early for anything to happen, and, and I'm sure they know that, and I'm sure Vaughan knows that as well. Um, it, we even saw last year where India came in. I mean, there was plans changed on their arrival point at least three times, didn't they? I, I seem to remember that at one point it was they were flying into Perth, then they were flying into Adelaide, then they were flying into Brisbane, and then at the last moment they found out, guess what? They don't want you in Brisbane and um, New South Wales um, was was the accommodating state in that situation. So they, these things can't be settled because you can't predict where what state what what state we're going to be in when, when England arrive. But there is no way known on God's earth that this nonsensical suggestion that you postpone the Ashes can happen. Come on, get serious, Vaughan. Surely yeah, it's well. kind of a. Um... Like a, a red herring, anyway. I, I would imagine, to your point, Pete, that Cricket Australia, you would think, has sufficient clout to be able to convince the government that 
this is a justifiable cause to bring in some extra people. Obviously, the messaging has to be done well because the natural yeah. reaction from a lot of people will be, how dare they bring these people, these family members in when they're Australians stranded overseas? But if they can make the point that no Australian is being pushed to the back of the queue, this is in addition to the existing cap. The ashes is worth so much to this country, it's right to allow a few extra um, uh, people in. As you said, if, if Katie Hopkins can be allowed in, um, surely it'll be fine. Yeah, I would have thought so. Um, hey, it, it, and I said it was a smart move on them, but yeah, I think the government probably would have preferred that it was done a bit more quietly because it doesn't like to do it doesn't like it out in public. The fact that it does favors for all sorts of people, and the public the public are a bit mean spirited about this. But I've always argued, don't don't ask why they're allowed to do that. Ask why we're not allowed to do it. Yeah, that's a good point. The frustrating thing is that we're not allowed. We should be allowed to do that. It doesn't mean that they should. You know, and because we can't doesn't mean that they can't. Something like that anyway. Justin Langer was speaking to the, well, actually not the media, Cole in the West Indies, and he, he, he said that he's sort of preparing for some kind of bubble life next summer. Uh, what's your sort of feeling around the, that? I mean, obviously with the lockdowns, it's becoming more of a reality that the players will have to suffer through more bubbles. Yeah, we, I mean, if, if you'd asked me uh, six weeks ago, man, as I would have said, you know, we're coming out the other side of this thing, aren't we? You know, I was as cocky mm. as Gladys. But, um, yeah, it, it, the depressing reality is that we're heading, looks like we're heading for bubble life again this summer. And I've already started to think about the logistics of it. Like if the ashes, I mean, if the summer was starting in three or four weeks, I'd have to be doing my best to try and get down to Hobart and do two weeks isolation in Hobart. This is how I'm thinking it through. I get to Hobart, I do two weeks in ISO in Hobart, cover that game. Hopefully then you're allowed up to the first test in Brisbane. Then you're allowed here, then you're out here. But then you get to, you get to Sydney and if Sydney's still like this, It'll be like last year and won't be able to get up to the, get across to the last test, which is in Perth. But it looks like we are facing another summer of those logistical difficulties, which is kind of depressing, isn't it? With an ashes out. And yeah. and from a purely selfish point of view, I, I can't see the English media being out here. You know, and as much as those <laughs> those men and women irritate me, it's part of the fun is catching up with everybody <laughs> and arguing with everybody in the press box. Yeah. <laughs> If I could get political, it, it is frustrating that if we had a competent federal government who'd organised sufficient vaccines, we'd be fine. And if we didn't have a sufficient a number of anti-vax idiots not getting it, we'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, well, I've had both my jabs, mate, and I reckon that I should be able to get out and about at some stage. Some privileges should come with that, shouldn't they? Have you had both yours, have you? I've had mine, yeah. I've had half. I'm getting my next one soon. And I know a lot of people who have it, uh, it's only because they haven't been able to and they're, and they're desperate to. But I, I think that that's the way it has to go, that longer term there has to be, um, if you haven't had both jabs, then you can't get on a plane. You can't um, do various things to sort of, by de facto, almost make it mandatory. I guess maybe I'm the only one very concerned about this, Pete, but I'm really worried about the Shield season as well because <laughs> it's supposed to start in nah. six weeks or something. So it, it, I can't it, it, See them playing it. It's a really good point. It's a really good point, Manners, because I think the first round has, uh, uh, which I think the first games are even one dayers, aren't they? And I think that sees New South New South Wales and Brisbane in Perth. That can't happen at the moment, can it? I know. I don't think. I don't think New New South Wales can go over there. So, yep. 
Yep, it's going to be cricket in a bubble again. Um, there they, they announced it with such confidence, didn't they, the domestic season? And I love the way they front-ended it this year. So we get all those um, Sheffield Shield matches before the first test. I wonder, you know, what, what is that going to do to Cricket Australia's bottom line? I mean, what did it cost them last year? Was it 30 or 50? Whatever it was, it was a lot of money. Um, it, it's really going to hurt financially, isn't it, if they have to conduct the uh, domestic uh, the first class summer and the one and the domestic one day is in bubbles and the WNCL. Yeah, and Curtis Patterson, when he was announced as New South Wales skipper, was asked that and he said he's happy to go into a bubble because I guess he's in that situation where he can, no kids, etc. But he did indicate that there was some unease within the group from some people that it might be another shield bubble away from families, uh, locked away whether they went back to Adelaide like they did last year or they went to southeast Queensland. But I guess, you know, I think the Australian Cricketers Association will have to work really closely with CA to get this going. Oh, gee, and, you know, um, they've had it pretty easy. And, I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not downplaying what what's ahead of them and what they have been through. But um, compare and contrast with what England have England's players have been through. They have been in a bubble for about eighteen months, haven't they? And I think, I think Dan Christian was saying recently that he just clocked up his hundredth day in a hotel room this year. Wow! Wow! Um, so yeah, it's pretty grueling stuff. What other countries have been going through, and uh, and it'll be it'll be another tough summer. And you can't blame it. You can't blame people with young families or or uh, people who you know have anxiety problems or whatever are being really concerned about having to do it a second time because, as we know with lockdown, second time's a hell of a lot worse than first time, isn't it? It's like jumping out of an aeroplane. Yeah. First time you do it, you don't know how scary, how awful it is. But the second time, terrifying. Uh, I feel sorry for poor old Aaron Finch at the moment that he's got that. Uh, what He flew, flew home from the West Indies the wrong way around the world with a bunged-up knee following that two weeks of hotel quarantine and then knee surgery. What a what an unattractive prospect of a few weeks for him. Oh yeah, isn't it? And that, that's the rock, that's the rock one, isn't it? About you do the tour in the bubble, and what have you got to look forward to? That's why I actually feel sorry for the Olympic athletes. You know, you uh, you, you have the event you've you've worked the last four or five years for. Uh, you nail it. You have to get you get escorted to the airport. You you fly home in PPE. Uh, not into the loving arms of your family and friends, and you know, and ten million gallons of alcohol that you've de- denied yourself over the over the journey. But <laughs> two weeks lockdown, two weeks locky D, or whatever it is, quarantine. <laughs> the only thing worse is if you didn't win, and then you've got two weeks to think about it all. <laughs> yeah. So, Pete, uh, I've got to ask your thoughts on the whole Justin Langer. Um, review discussion we've been having on this podcast. So, um, you know, I'm saying this is a non-story. It's just a, a media beat up. A few players got their nose out of joint because they lost to the Indians and decided to have a crack at the coach. Um, do you think that's fair? Do you think I'm way off? And then how do you think it's going now? Well, has it been portrayed as anything um, other than that? That uh, I think... I think JL's sort of held his hand up that there needed to be, you know, that uh, everyone could have done things a little bit better and I, everybody got on it. Uh, I think in reflection they realised how much they got on each other's nerves last summer. Tim Payne's admitted that, you know, that things things really started to get to him and to the group. Um, they'll, get on, they'll get on with it. 
this mob. If anyone thinks that um, a, a, that, a, that much notice was going to be pay, much attention is going to be paid to a player uprising in these circumstances, I think they're wrong. And and it's not a player uprising that you know grumbles in it. Justin Lang was put in there because one, well one of the one of the perceptions was that the playing group had got ahead of itself. It had got big-headed and thought it ran the show. It had too much power. So, what, you're going to turn around when the playing group so, you know, has a bit of a grumble after losing a series and has a bad time in lockdown and, and says, oh, yeah, you're right, sweet things. How can we make your world better for you? Harden up. JL's the coach. He's got you that far. That's a good take, Pete. Very good take. I wholeheartedly agree. Thank goodness Jaleesa's is <laughs> not here to gang up on me with Paul. I know we haven't oh, been ganging up on you. Where You're... is she, by the way? She got called into Network Ten this morning early. Disappointing, a bit disappointing. There's a, there's, there's a balanced point like Pete made, and then there's uh, sycophantic cheering from the grandstands like you have uh, menaced for the last couple of weeks about you know JL JL. So you know, Jaleesa and I had to pull you into a line a little bit. Fair enough. Um, well, I'm glad <laughs> to see things seem to be going well then. Um, so, Pete, what did you make of the the performance from the Australian team in the West Indies? Was it a pass mark for you? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, they did a did a bit of a titmus, didn't they? They came back and sort of uh, saved it at the end with those results in the one days. I I think you couldn't be too harsh on them about their performance in the early games. They were coming up against a a, a group of players who were match hardened, whereas. Mm. Yeah, you know, the Australians have just got soft in lockdown and haven't been doing anything. So uh, that that will count against you. I think they uh, were a little bit intimidated by the power of the West Indies, particularly the West Indies batsmen. They hit that ball so hard. Um, yeah. I reckon you could see see the Aussies take a bit of a backward step in some way in those early games. Um, and you know, that excuses, excuses, but they didn't they didn't have a lot of their big names there, did they? So they they were always going to be a little bit out of kilter with the 11 they put on the field because I think it was as much R&D as winning the match in some ways, this tour, although they will deny that. They obviously wanted to win the match. So that was all right. Um, I was a bit disappointed that uh, some of the players didn't put their hands up like we thought that they might have. I was rooting for Dan Christian. I mean, I think everyone wanted Dan Christian to, to do really well, and I'm not saying that he didn't do – yeah, he, he was okay, but I would have liked him to have been the player of the series and, you know, the fairy tale story going into the World Cup. But maybe that's just because I have to write those stories. I agree with you, though, but, I mean, he didn't seize his opportunities, but he didn't get many. I mean, he only got um, – even if he hadn't got out, he wasn't given all that many balls and – it was really difficult times when he came into bat. I hope. Do you reckon they've drawn a line through him, or is he, is he going to get a chance in Bangladesh? Oh, I don't think they would have thought that far ahead just yet. I think it will make tend to do, look at the makeup of the side. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do in Bangladesh now. Um, I'll ask you, you guys, a question. Do you reckon Glenn Maxwell's a walk-up start for that? Yes, for the World Cup. Yeah, first name written down. Yeah. Mm. Good, yeah, he is in mind too. Are they are they annoyed by him not turning up to this tour? Even if they are, I think self interest has to kick in. That I agree with Manners that if you want to win the World Cup, he's the first player you pick. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree with you. Um, I was watching Starkey a bit too closely in the early matches. I don't know why, and a bit concerned about him. But by God, Boldy's um, 
bowled the house down, didn't he? He's he is. I, I agree with Justin Langer on this one. When he's bowling well, he's the best white ball bowler in the world, or among the best white ball bowlers in the world. He's so effective at that level. The Mitch Mitch Marsh was an obvious positive takeaway, wasn't it? And um, a, a fair option at number three. Um, I don't think Steve Smith will like batting in the middle order in a tw- in a T20 game. That's got to be one of the harder asks, doesn't it? Batting in the middle order of a T20 match. Very. I'd yeah, like I think they've got to be flexible flexible with the batting order. That if, if 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 on the assumption that Smith does make it with his elbow, if we're one for four in the first over and it's looking like a difficult pitch, then I'd definitely send Smith in. If we're done for sixty after five, then maybe not. But I, I still I still want Smith in the side if he's fit. But I must say, for someone who's, you know, I bonded with my father in my early years by us both wanting Jeff Marsh to get out so we could get the attractive stroke players coming in. Um, so I've kind of always held something against the, the Marsh family, totally unjustifiably. I'm now, um, I'm more than willing to be a big fan of Mish Marsh now. He's, he's won me over. He's won me over. I, I can't, uh, it, it does my head in that anybody could hold anything against Mitch Marsh. No, the cricketer, not the bloke. For that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a cricketer? Well, maybe, yeah. They are, yeah, he's just the sweetest, most sort of, char- and he's the most charismatic bloke in the cricket team. <laughs> One of the most popular blokes in the cricket team. The public perception of him so out of whack with the perception of him, you know, from, from the group, from the playing group. The Marsh family table. At, uh, at any Cricket Australia gathering is is the key table to get on, apparently, if you're having Christmas lunch or anything like that because they're the guys to be with, Mitch. Mitch, Mitch is the life and soul of any party. So it's great to see him go well. And um, a march in full flight is is something to witness. And, and like the, some of those West Indies bats, the, the marshes, um, we've only really got Mitch, I guess, these days in the team. Um, they hit the ball with 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 real force. Few people hit the ball as hard as a Marsh. Yeah, there was a really good period for Mitch Marsh in white ball cricket. But Pete, I know you're running out of time. I've got a couple of quick questions before you go. The the first oh, question no hard is ones. no, not a hard one, but you know, just looking at this tour. If you take a step back, we've seen England lose a whole one-day squad and then still win a series. We've seen India send two teams around the world, one's in Sri Lanka. Actually, they did lose overnight, so maybe they're not invincible. But don't you think Australia's depth has been kind of exposed on this tour? And, in fact, you know, the players that are here opting out have actually gone up in value because these young players just haven't taken their chances. Yeah, I, I've had similar thoughts, Menas, but they did win the one-day series in very difficult circumstances overseas. But, uh, and I could make excuses for them in the T20, and I could care so much about a T20 international also. But, yeah, yeah. Hey, mate, we've got three test batsmen on contract. Mm. That, very yeah, concerning. That, yeah, yeah, there are concerns there. There's good depth in the bowling, isn't there? And if you look at the around the ranks, I mean, you've got a Pukowski uh, coming through, but there's not a lot of batsmen pushing through. Final one, Pete. IPL dates have been announced September 19th to October 15th. Now, if you just sort of read Mm -hmm. between the lines, you know, Finch and um, a few other players have sort of aired their sort of very tacit concerns about players returning to the IPL. What, What feeling are you getting? 
Well, they've got every they've got every excuse not to return now, don't they? In that they have got the Australian domestic summer is on, um, and also I think you'll find that there's going to be a series scheduled against the West Indies and Sri Lanka as a warm up for the World Cup. Or has that been announced? No, nothing's been announced yet. There you go, breaking news. It'd be a brave player who went over there, and I and I I you I guess you could argue that it's pretty good. It's a, pr- a pretty good warm up for the World Cup is to play in the IPL, but the counter-argument to that is um, bubble life, there's a hell of a lot of it, and it's not exactly the ideal warm-up to go over and and play that tournament and be in that bubble and then come into the next one. Um, It will be a brave player who goes. Well well said. Where's the – so that that warm-up series is – did you say Australia against Sri Lanka and the West Indies? Is it going to be in the UAE or where's it going to be? Uh, I think that's what's planned. Um, was it in the UAE or was it in India? I think they originally were planning to play it even in India, but it might have been the UAE. It's been a bit vague, but it's there. It's penciled into the plans. Yeah, because I think that's a, that makes it a no-brainer that you're right, and I've been saying it, that potentially the IPL is great preparation for the World Cup. And on that reason and that reason alone... I would have been happy for some of the players to play in it. But if we're going to have decent preparation from the national side over there, then maybe that, that makes that point moot. Yeah. You know, hey, and that's only going to cost a couple of them about a million dollars each, isn't it? Maybe one and a half million that they'll leave on the table. So, I mean, nothing nothing for guys like Menas, but for you and I, Paul, that's a lot of money. Well, particularly because it might mean that they never invite us back either. Like, the, you know, you, you said you know up for them now. <laughs> and they say next year we're going for the West Indian. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, well, as I think I wrote it in the paper last week. The guy whose uh, value has gone through the roof is uh, Mitchell Stark. Mm. Mate, I believe that uh, a few teams were uh, – I heard from a few, that a few teams were pretty excited about his performance in the West Indies and uh, were very keen to get his name signed up. So I reckon we might see Mitch there next year and he'll get a hell of a lot of money because uh, I think it's the right time to go back into the auction. Good on him too. He's, I hope he goes there and gets four million. Four? You going for four? Yeah, four million. Wow. I hope he gets four million because his wife Alyssa Healy is is uh, going to be was one of the stars sleeping out. Maybe he could flick a bit in her direction. <laughs> uh, well, Pete, thank you very much for joining us on Cricket Unfiltered today. Thanks a lot, Pete. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Enjoy your day. And if anybody's listening and feeling generous, um, go to sportsstarsleepout.com and uh, flick some money their way. Cheers. Good luck this weekend. Thanks, guys. Great stuff there from Peter Lawler, as always. I forgot to mention at the top of the show, Jaleesa Apps was due to join us today, but unfortunately was called into work at the last minute. So we unfortunately don't have her on the show today. Always a shame when she's not here, isn't it, Paul? Definitely. Now, um, we're going to take a a quick break and then we'll be back with a couple of more bits of news, mainly around short-form cricket. We want to look at the T20 World Cup group that Australia have later in the year and also how the 100's been going so far. But before we take a break, I just want to urge you, if you're a cricket fan, go on right now and search for Cricket Daily on your favourite podcast app and subscribe. Most of our Cricket Unfiltered listeners have moved across and subscribed to Cricket Daily. So if you're one of the few missing out on that a daily dose of cricket news, we release a, around a 15-minute show Monday to Friday where it covers all the cricket news you need. So with Cricket Unfiltered and Cricket Daily, you will know more about cricket than all your mates unless they listen as well. 
then it'll be a fun competition. But please um, go now, subscribe to Cricket Daily. Most Cricket Unfiltered listeners have. So if you haven't, go and do it. We're not releasing Cricket Daily on this feed anymore. All right, we'll take a quick break. Then we'll be back with those bits of news and can't let it go. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Andrew Menzel. I'm joined by Paul Dennett underscore. I think I'm going to get that right eventually. <laughs> Doesn't have quite the same ring as All the right, game. So, um, Paul, well, well, you've got some stats here for the 100. Do you want to run us through them? And then I'm curious on your sort of initial impressions on this very uh, divisive competition. Well, I think the key stat for me is the amazing ratings for the opening night of viewing for, for the women's hundred that um, it was the most watched women's cricket match um, across international and domestic cricket ever in the United Kingdom. And the stunning statistic is that the peak audience it reached was 1.95 million. And when you put that into context, the peak highest peak audience audience in the history of test cricket on Sky Sports in England was 2.1 million, and that was for the the day at Ben at Headingley where Ben Stokes played that miracle innings. Now, to almost match that, one of the greatest days in in the history of Test cricket, that alone, I, I, I think, justifies the hundred. You you can say whatever you whatever else you want. The blast never got anywhere near those sorts of figures. Um, this is absolutely superb. And the other figure that I really like um, is the fact that on BBC Two, they have this figure for people who watched for at least three minutes. And that figure was 3.3 million. Now, how many of those 3.3 million, how many hundreds of thousands had either virtually never seen cricket before or had long since fallen out of love with the game? The reach that it got just in that alone um, as I said, I, I, I think that the 100 paid for itself um, on day one because of that. Yeah, I think it's got off to a great start. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We're not seeing the best version of this competition we're going to see. It's severely depleted with players. A lot of the best overseas players haven't gone. But if what we're seeing now is just a taste of what's to come, I mean, it, it's incredible that England fell so far behind the rest of the world in their franchise competitions or not having a franchise competition. So they're just catching up now. This will revolutionise the game in England. There's no doubt about it. I've got a, a few minor complaints about the way they, and I say very minor complaints, that I find the score presentation on the screen a little bit hard to follow. And I think, you know, if you're someone coming to the game and you, you're trying to sort of draw in people that are casual fans, they could maybe make that just a bit simpler. Um, you know, you've kind of got runs on one side of the screen and balls on the other and wickets in a corner. There's no kind of real sort of easy way of knowing what's going on. Um, but, yeah, overall, big tick for me. Um, I, I do think that the, the competition will suffer now that the England players go into their test camp. But overall, I love it couple of other quick stats on there. The late men's game on the 24th of July, which ex exclusively aired on Sky, um, got 557,000 viewers, which is more time, more than three times the average audience for the T20 blast from the last couple of years. And it, it makes the point that, that yeah, this is 
partially explained by the fact that Sky put it on their Sky One, which is um, a channel that doesn't require you to have a premium sports subscription to get. And people would say, oh, you know, that, that makes it um, easier to get high ratings. But they wouldn't have done that for the Blast. That's the point. It's getting things that go go its way that the, the Blast simply didn't. And the final one is that um, the opening game on the on the BBC had 39% female audience. The average audience in the uh, the Blast for the last two years has been 27%. So that's the opening men's game got 39% female audience. So ECB, um, if you want to give us some money for saying how much we like, like the uh, Blast, we certainly won't say no. Oh, sorry, how much we like the... Um, the hundred, we certainly won't say no, uh, but it is organic and genuine. Um, I don't know if you've heard Isabel Westbury's comments about the pay disparity between the men's and women's in the hundred competition. So the women are getting paid a, paid a very small percentage of what the average men's salary is, and and you know it would suggest that although uh, this competition's great, there's still a way to go. It, to get those pay levels a little bit closer together. Well, the ECB should just rectify that. Um, Cricket Australia, in the first year, I think, of the, the Women's Big Bash League, they were still on fairly low payments. They then substantially increased them. It, the ECB should follow that, and um, it's a no-brainer. And now one bit of news that did slip through the cracks over the last couple of weeks was that Australia's T20 World Cup group was announced. And this is the nail in Australia's T20 World Cup campaign coffin as far as I'm concerned because Australia have a very tough group. They've got England, South Africa, West Indies, and then the winner of Group A, which is being competed by Sri Lanka Island, Netherlands and Namibia. And Sri Lanka Island had fancied their chances against us. Uh, and then the runner-up of Group B that uh, will be Bangladesh, Scotland, Papua New Guinea or Oman. So I can see Australia really struggling in this group. England should towel them up. West Indies should beat them. The only team that Australia should maybe compete well with that we can see is South Africa. I wish I had your confidence and certainty as to what's going to happen in the future. Um, you know, that may well happen, but I mean, South Africa beat West Indies. Uh, they might top the group. Who knows? Um, I certainly think that Group One that Australia is in is a more difficult group than Group Two. Afghanistan may surprise, but you'd certainly say that of the eight teams already in the groups, they are on paper the weakest. We could look back on it, and I'm not saying this will happen, but we could look back on it and say, the tour of the West Indies was the best thing that happened. They had some ugly results on low, difficult pitches, but they played against a, a very powerful West Indian side. They learnt from that. And when the top players came in and Australia went through and ended up winning the World Cup, they may well point to the West Indies tour as, as the great reason for it. Now, it may go the other way, but your your insistence that Australia is going to go no, no good in the World Cup, I really look forward to you. Hopefully, you'll get proven wrong. Well, as a very, very patriotic Australian cricket fan, I hope I'm way off and Australia goes on an excellent run. And you're right about South Africa. They actually could be a handful. They might beat Australia as well. We might be <laughs> none, none from uh, five because South Africa have Shamsi, the world's best um, T20 spinner, and he should do well in the conditions in the UAE. But uh, that's the group, England, Australia, South Africa, West Indies, then the, the two people that come through from the qualifiers. In the other group, it's India, Pakistan, New Zealand, and Afghanistan. So we will get the much, uh, well, much the record-breaking match between India and Pakistan. How many billions will be watching that, Paul? 
don't trigger me, mate. Um, there'll be a huge audience, but one of my triggers is overstated, overstated television viewing figures that they always say, oh, you know, 4.4 billion people tuned in to watch the opening ceremony of the Olympics. 4.4 billion people might have had the option to, but they didn't. No, they'll, they'll get a great audience for that, but it won't be in the billions. It'll be in the, the tens of millions, hundreds of millions if we're lucky, but it'll be one of the great sporting events of the year in the whole world. Well, I concur. Cannot wait. It's going to be a really packed year of cricket with the big summer in England, with England taking on India in a gripping test series, then the IPL, then the T20 World Cup, then the Ashes. You throw in the Big Bash and the Sheffield Shield. I'm going to be very happy. There'll be no more Mad Meners. Can't guarantee that, actually. Um, All right. Now, we're going to get to Can't Let It Go, but we just want to take a very brief moment to thank all our Patreon subscribers. We've had a lot of people sign up to our Patreon account in the last few weeks, and we really appreciate it. Um, you know, we're producing extra shows there. We've got Dennett's Deep Dive and Menna's Masterclass to thank all our subscribers. And I just want to read out um, the latest nine subscribers. So I'd like to thank Craig Burge, Adam Pasco, Rajashi Dasgupta, Daryl Parker, Al Glenn, Andrew Wright, Peter Reeves, Sam Atkinson, and David Alexander. And our earlier ones, uh, Josh, Christy Lee, Stephen Menzel, Diddley Squat, Troy Smith, Robert Fairhead, Luke Reynolds, Mitchell, Fitzgerald, and Alexi. Thank you very much. We know it's a tough time, and we really appreciate the support from everyone on Patreon. All right, now. Can't let it go time. That little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to Josh Inglis behind the sticks. Paul, who's what's your can't let it go? Uh, happy story. I just keep on reflecting how much I enjoy what they've got in the 100 where they have the time that they need to get their overs finished prominently on the scoreboard and it's not a fake target. It's a real target. The players know that if they don't meet it, they're going to be hit with an extra fielder from outside the circle has to be brought inside the circle, which is the last thing you want as the overs come, as the as the um, balls come to a completion. I just think they should put this in straight into Test cricket. Imagine how exciting it would be if first day of the day, first day of the Test match, up on the board, they have thirty overs, and that's what you've got to have by lunch. And as it counts down, and the sides realise, oh, hold on, um, we're not going to get there, they have to start moving on. And, all the pointless drinks breaks and endless conversations go by the wayside. I'm not sure what the punishment needs to be, but I'm sure they can come up with something that's suitable. And for all those say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. It does. That if you're supposed to get 180 balls in two hours of cricket, and as they often do, they only get 150 balls, you're being shortchanged by a significant amount as a spectator. And I think this is an exciting and effective way to finally fix, fix the um, slow overrate issue, which is the bane of my existence. And the other bane of my existence is people who say, oh, I don't think it's such a big issue. It's a massive issue. Yeah, my solution would be, so at the end of the session, the end of the first session, Australia's fielding and they're two overs short. So the next session, they for the, the first two overs of the next session, they can only have nine fielders. Uh, and so if they're only one over short, Oh, no, you, so it'd be just nine always. You, you'd, oh, you'd no, if, so for the amount of overs they were short, they can only have nine fielders. So if you're five overs short, it's five overs with nine fielders to start the next session. So if you yeah. get to the end of session two and you're, you know, 10 overs behind, then um, next session you're 10 overs with nine fielders. 
penalty runs are the other one that um, you know you, you're three overs short, bang, they just get fifteen added to their total. That would I don't like that happening too often, but it might hopefully it would be a sufficient deterrent to stop it from happening too much. How about they have one of those things that they have at local fairs where they, at the end of play, they put the sk- the skipper of the fielding side on one of those dunce um, stands and everyone gets to throw the ball at the target. And if they hit the target, the captain goes into the water and yeah, they just have to sit, like there, sit on that for an hour. Well, I mean, that or 18 months imprisonment, which is what I've always favoured. <laughs> <laughs> um, You've been sentenced well, to jail lucky, for slow over eight. Lucky you're not the match referee. <laughs> <laughs> Langer would be begging for Booney to come back. <laughs> All right. My, I've got two can't-let-it-goes. Uh, the first one was I woke up to good news today that the Sixers WBBL side have signed exciting young leg spinner Jade Allen. Now, not a familiar name to anyone, but I was commentating on some uh, women's cricket last summer. It was the um, regional women's big bash, great competition by put on by New South Wales cricket. And this, this young girl comes out and bowls this beautiful looping, drifting leg spinner that just landed, turned away. I was like, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, um, Six, the Sydney Sixers WBBL side have thought the same and signed her for the upcoming summer. So keep an eye out for Jade Allen, one of um, the best prospects in women's cricket in this country. And finally, I'm really thrilled that the first ever guest on Cricket Unfiltered, that's right, going when it changed from Australian Cricket Podcast to Cricket Unfiltered, the first ever guest was Curtis Patterson and he's been given the New South Wales Shield captaincy. Um, so congratulations to him. I think it's a terrific appointment. I know Paul's very disappointed that Peter Neville wasn't um, given the job again, but I'm glad KP's got an opportunity. Yeah, I'm glad he's got an opportunity as well, and I can see the reasons for it, but I just think that it's wrong for the Sheffield Shield to be so so desperate for, for youth and that if, if Peter Neville is going to be removed as captain when he's just done nothing wrong and also potentially removed from the side simply because he's in his mid-30s, I just think that is the wrong thing to do. Uh, they did it wrong with Steve O'Keefe. And, um, you know, sure, promote youth at all possibilities, but not at the expense of someone who's doing a better job, um, who, who's experienced. One other point, actually, man, is, um, as I understand it, the first ever guest on uh, the original uh, Australian Cricket Podcast was Lisa Thaleka. Is that right? That's right, yep. Uh, well, shout out to her because she is uh, really hitting the big time. She's on primetime Channel 7 Olympic coverage each night. Um, on uh, their sort of uh, late night talk slash comedy show, um, and um, my parents were watching the other night and said how 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 well she's doing and how good she's doing. So, uh, yeah, great to see a friend of this show really sort of hitting the 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 big time. Not that she hasn't already because she's hosting the IPL, but as far as um, um an Australian audience is concerned, really um, hitting the big time. So that's great to see. Yeah, she's inspirational, Lisa. Fantastic story. Head to my. Menas Masterclass with her. It's one of my favourite interviews I've done. Well, I guess that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, great to talk to you, Menas. Um, looking forward to watching the swimming now. <laughs> yeah, good one. Um, sorry, listeners, for all the Olympic chatter. Um, no, listeners, thank you very much for listening. Jaleesa will hopefully be back next week. Thank you to Peter Lawler from The Australian uh, for joining us. Go and find his Sports Stars Sleep Out. That's a great cause. Um, head to social media, Oz Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll be back next week.
on Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.